0: From the Terry Paranich Team Broadcast Center, this is the this City 4
1: Face-Off Show, Face-Off Show on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chan.
2: It is 6.06. Thanks a lot for joining us. We're about an hour away from the drop of the puck with the Edmonton Oilers hosting the San Jose Sharks along with Bob Stoffer. I'm Reed Wilkins. The Edmonton Oilers are in the playoffs for the first time since 2006. In that playoff year, they were led by a defenseman playing at as an elite a level as I have ever seen a defenseman play in the postseason, and I'm pleased to welcome Chris Pronger to the faceoff show right now. Chris, you're on with Bob and Reed. How are you doing, sir? Excellent, guys. How you guys? How you doing?
1: Oh, Reed, had to slide that elite word in there, Chris, just to make you feel
2: <laughs> warm and welcome. And you know what?
0: As soon as I heard it, I'm like, God, turn it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, we know you're busy with your uh, your job with the NHL, but, uh, you know, the old saying is once an Oiler, always an Oiler. It was only a year for you, but uh, certainly you were playing against and then observing a team that had a pretty tough time. Just what was your reaction to seeing them finally get over the hump and get in in a, in a tense game against the Kings on Tuesday?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, very fitting uh, to, to come against a team like L.A., who's over the last seven or eight years been a dominant force in the league and, and a, a team that went through similar struggles to, uh, to Edmonton, uh, in how they've slowly been building their team. And, you know, I, you could argue that the Kings are, are somewhat on the decline and, and Edmonton's on the rise. And, and as, as we all know, it doesn't hurt to get a player like Connor McDavid in the draft. So, um, you know, they're certainly on the rise and Peter Shirley's done an excellent job and, in trying to put some pieces together and, and, uh, you know, the Larson trade, uh, uh, wasn't popular at the time, but I think has proven to be uh, a pretty big addition for their blue line there, and, and kind of solidifying the uh, the back end.
1: Chris, uh, I know we we spoke in St. Louis a couple times, but uh, and I mentioned it then. I mean, my my belief was you were the best player to wear the Oilers jersey since Mark Messier. Until Connor McDavid got here, uh, <laughs> and, and that's not a disrespectful comment, <laughs> and you know that. Uh, I, I just gotta ask you this. I mean, look, you've been involved in the in the the league since the early 1990s. From your perspective, is there any way for you to sort of give me your assessment on what fans in Edmonton are privileged enough to see on a nightly basis with that kid? I mean, how? What do you see when you see him, and how good of a player do you think he is? Ooh, I think just.
0: I think you, you, you probably have fans just tracking him on the ice and, and hoping he gets the puck. You know, I can like it and I'm not comparing they're a little bit different games, but whenever Mario would get the puck, you're just, something's going to happen. And and the same is with that kid. I mean, he's so skilled and, and, and plays at such a high speed uh, that he can make, make it happen at any given moment and, and can break away or create something uh, with his vision. And, you know, I think he's starting to get some pretty good chemistry with his line mates and and uh, guys are understanding where to go and, and understanding his speed. They may not be as fast, but they just need to know the areas where they need to get to in order for him to be able to,
2: to get the puck to them. Chris Prager joining us on, on, on from those players on what's happening now. But when you look back on 2006, I, was there a point, maybe it was in the playoffs, maybe it was in the regular season, I don't know, but was there a point where you started to get a little bit of belief? Because this year's edition of the Oilers has talked a lot about, you know, trust and keeping an even keel. Was there a, a moment you remember where you thought, man, we might be able to do some damage?
0: Yeah, no, you know what? I I, I think from the outset, I, I think we had a,
2: a pretty good belief in the locker room.
0: Um, you know, we just kept saying we just need to get that number one goalie. Uh, Conks was having a tough year and, and, and Juicy was as well and we we're kind of going back and forth and um, and, and once we made the the Rollison trade it took probably I don't know two weeks three weeks for him to kind of settle in and understand how we played and, and vice versa for us uh, to understand how he played where he leaves his rebounds how well he can play the puck um, you know you see a number of goals in the playoffs where he's kind of flipping it over everybody and you see Michael Pecka going on breakaway or or Pisani or whoever. Um, you know, I think that, that comes with a little bit of time, and I think as players, you know, I was brought in, Michael Peck was brought in, uh, Spotcheck was brought in fairly early, I think in November. So there was, the bulk of the team was there, uh, and then it was just adding some pieces, you know, as we became comfortable with the, with the group. You know, then you bring in uh, guys at the deadline, you bring in uh, Samson, uh, Rolison, uh, to provide that depth, and, and, and all those players, uh, Todd Harvey, all the players that were brought in uh, at the beginning of the year and then throughout the course of the season all played a big part in, uh, in that run in, in 06. And, uh, you know, some of the stalwarts that were there, like Smitty and, and Jason Smith and Stales and Ethan Morrow and uh, Hork, Pye, all those guys all played a big part in, uh, in that run that we had.
1: I was actually one of the guys, Chris, that had you to beat Detroit. I thought you guys were uh, all wrong for the Red Wings, and I've only brought that up 6,435 times <laughs> over the last 11 years.
0: And now it's 604, uh, 6,437 uh, times.
1: You nailed it, but I, I do remember game five in Detroit. I'd uh, taken the Golden Bears out after they won the national championship, and I got roared in around 7 in the morning, so it was a good night, and it was an afternoon game on the Saturday. And you played at a level like it was just, I think you played 27 or, tomorrow well, you always play 27 or 28 minutes, but it was that game five, and I know you guys had to come back in game six, but you'd won the second time in Detroit, and for me, I'm like, these guys, it's not just a matter of beating Detroit, they're capable of beating anybody here.
0: Well, I think in that series, we, we knew we could beat them, we went two and two during the regular season with them, so for a team that had 130 points or whatever they had, we beat them twice. And, you know, I think in our room we felt like we had a good chance. Nobody else has given us a chance, but as we all know, as long as you believe, there's a good chance that uh, that you can be successful. And, um, you know, I think as that series got on, you could kind of see them getting a little frustrated. They weren't able to have their way with us. They weren't able to – every game was close. We were we were taking a, a toll on them physically, and they had a little bit older team. Um, you know, so we, we just needed to stick to the – stick to the, the game plan. Uh, apparently, we cheated. We didn't play the 2-1-2. Two, two. We played a trap, a 1-2-2, two, two, and apparently that upset them. They thought they were going to chew us up in our 2-1-2, two, two, but uh, that's, that's for another day. But, uh, uh, you know, when you see players, like I remember vividly in that game, game five, Sean Horkoff diving face first at a puck to block it. And and when you have your teammates laying it out on, all out in the line like that, uh, you know, Big things can happen, and, and uh, I think as as each game went by, that room became closer and closer, and, and we started to realize that we had something special.
1: Well, you know, it was also special for the fans. I mean, it was uh, at some points they were singing the American anthem as loudly as the Canadian anthem because you know in Canada we're immersed in American culture, we could do that. And I guess that's where I want to go next. I mean, you experienced it here in Edmonton for the year. It was crazy during that year. The the, the building was such that it vibrated. The Oilers have taken a massive leap forward from an economic perspective moving into this new building near Rogers' place. But I, do you think the players even have any any idea whatsoever of what they're up for in terms of the engagement level of fans kind of playoff time in the city?
0: Well, especially with the lay, with the long layoff from between playoff series. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the, the fans have been waiting for this day and, and, and have been very patient in, in waiting for this team to kind of turn the corner and and get back to the, to the dance. And, and, you know, who knows what happens? You know, it's, it's, it's funny how, you know, a little bit of belief, uh, you know, they've got a few players in that team that have, that have been there before and, and one cup. So it'll be interesting to see how that gets infused amongst that young lineup. But uh, uh, they certainly have, have some youthful enthusiasm and, and some uh, speed on their side. And, and you get that raucous crowd going and, and the excitement of being back in the playoffs and, little energy in the building and uh, who knows what can happen
2: chris my question is also uh, sort of fan related you know after you left edmonton and you came back to play as a visitor i thought your first name might be boo uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh you know <laughs> yeah, it was
0: uh, it was my name was Boo in 28 other cities
2: too. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I mean, uh, I mean, look, you're you're only here a year. People were hoping you're going to be here longer, and you know, we made the joke there about the booing. But when you look back, how do you sort of feel about your relationship uh, with uh, with Oilers fans, or for, or if you came to Edmonton and, and had to mingle, uh, you know, how would you feel about that?
0: I I see people from Edmonton all the time.
2: I I certainly have no
0: uh, ill will or hard feelings. Uh, you know, I think they had their feelings hurt when I got moved and. And I completely understand that, but uh, but life goes on. I think they're over it. I'm certainly over it. And and uh, you know, at some point, uh, I'll get back there and see the new building and the development and everything. But uh, uh, certainly excited for for the organization and and the fan base for sure, and and obviously uh, the players and and a lot of the alumni that uh, that I know are. A big part
1: of that. Well, you know, from a fan's perspective, I couldn't ask for more in terms of what you gave in that one year. And it, you know, it's it's tough when you lose that player. I get it. But uh, I wrote in the Edmonton Sun after you left, Chris. You gotta you gotta move on in life, and it is a business, and people need to rem- uh, remember that. People also should have the choices to where they uh, can work. You want a cup? I'm happy for you that when you want a cup. You're working for the league. <laughs> um, it's interesting, given the amount of times you got into trouble with the league. Uh, I'd say you're you got a real good handle of some of those situations. And frankly, I thoroughly admired that you that degree of nastiness in your game but yes yeah, uh, thank it, you it has you know what
0: you know what the funny part is Bob yeah. not once did I ever get taken a task in Edmonton yeah must be that Canadian bias
1: and that's what, it, the, the, you know, the league goes soft on those Canadian players. You know that. But uh, how are you enjoying, I, I guess that's, you know, how are you enjoying your life with where it's at right now, the work you do at the National Hockey League, and uh, just your excitement with where the game's headed, especially given the plethora of young stars like Connor, a couple of great American players, Austin Matthews, Jack Eichel, a terrific Finnish player in Winnipeg, and Patrick Liney.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've enjoyed my time. It's uh, I kind of work out of my house, go to the games here in St. Louis, and, and do a little bit of traveling and, and uh, uh, things of that nature. But it keeps me around the game and, and it active and it, inside the game. So uh, it's been great that way. Um, I'm not I don't have both feet in and immersed in everything. I'm kind of got one foot in and one foot out, which has uh, kind of been nice. But uh, uh, no, I think the league's in a great great spot. Uh, a lot of great young talent coming into the league as some of us old timers have left and um you know i think uh, the sky's the limit right now with the, the amount of talent and, and skill out there i think um as as guys continue to to progress and develop i think you'll kind of see them getting to that next level as uh, you know let's use Connor as an example as he starts to learn how to maybe use a stutter step and not not always be going 100 miles an hour and use a little deception with his feet uh you might see him break a few more so uh you know little things like that that takes take time to develop i think is uh, is a good thing and, and a whole part of the maturation process that players go through
1: chris when you do come to edmonton uh we'll make sure we uh, tap into that jj barrick expense account okay?
2: <laughs> always gotta land a jj
1: <laughs> awesome stuff
2: chris thank you so much for your time i hope we can do this again and all the best all right my pleasure take care see you later that's Chris Pronger checking in tonight on the City Ford Face-Off show and uh, a guy who uh, I, I, I didn't have a vote.